This is the Smokin' PTSD Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Duke. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Smokin' PTSD Podcast. I know, it's been a while since I've uh, sat in front of this microphone and, uh, and spoken to, to you guys. Um, it's been just about a year. Uh, September 11th of last year was when I posted Episode 4, and boy, a lot's happened since then. I stopped doing the podcast, so I got sick. Uh, September 18th of last year, I came down with a fever, uh, really bad fever, chills, nausea, uh, really, really felt sick, thought it was COVID, uh, so stayed in bed for about a week, uh, five days, I guess, and finally on Friday, uh, the following Friday, I finally went to uh, the local hospital up here uh, by me, more of an urgent care um, it's like a uh, a walk-in emergency department. They do ex- ex- accept ambulance service, but uh, anything that's critical goes someplace else. So I went in there. Uh, they COVID tested me and immediately said it's not COVID. Uh, and I told the doctor, you know, I had a discomfort in my lower right quadrant of my abdomen, more towards my um, groin area, like directly above my pubic bone. Uh, he palpated it, was really, really tender. Didn't feel anything in there. He felt a little bit of a mass, he said, but you know, not palpable mass or anything. But So they did a CT scan, uh, and they found an anomaly. Uh, they didn't know what it was. Uh, they could not rule out that it was cancerous uh, because it was directly where my prostate used to be, and I had had my prostate removed in a prostatectomy in 2019 following a prostate cancer diagnosis. So that was a little bit scary. Uh, so I went to a local hospital over here, was transferred to a local hospital, spent a week in the hospital, uh, on IV antibiotic drips, uh, being changed out every two or three hours. You know, you, you know, anybody that's ever been in a hospital knows it's, it's not a hotel. You don't go there to rest. <laughs> so it was, a. Uh, it was a challenge. It, it really was a challenge for me. Uh, I was out of work for 11 weeks, 10, 11 weeks. Um, spent a week in the hospital, went home, recovered, lost a lot of weight. I mean, I was not eating anything. I hadn't eaten anything in probably two weeks when I finally had a, a solid uh, meal. I was drinking a lot of water, but just, you know, the, the weakness and the malaise and the pain, I just wasn't eating anything. On Halloween, October 31st, I went back to work and just couldn't do it. I, I was too weak. I was tired. I, I pushed myself. So I was out for another three weeks and I finally went back to work and slowly got my strength back and uh, really, really started to feel better. When I was in the hospital, I had a couple different procedures of them using large needles through my um, abdominal wall to try and drain the cyst. And they still didn't know what it was. They, were, they did biopsies. It was not cancerous. They did not know what it was. I had one surgeon say it was a spermacil. I had another surgeon say it was a lymphocil. Nobody could really accurately diagnose what it was, and they could not tell me why it was there. Everybody was saying, even my urologist was like, this is impossible. It has nothing to do with your prostate cancer. However, it was in the exact same spot that my prostate was. So it was just a little uh, little strange, but um, 
either way, I don't really, I, I was telling the urologist, I don't care where it came from. Um, I'm not blaming you. I don't think it's anything you did with the surgery. If I had any uh, complications from the surgery, those would have manifested themselves immediately, not nearly two years later. But it was, uh, it was challenging for me. So I, I have thought about doing the podcast again just about every day. Uh, and I just, I never did. Every time I thought about it, there was something else I was going to do. So I, I, I changed one of the bedrooms in my house into a bit of a den or uh, some people call it a man cave. I just, I despise that term. I just like to, I, I use the term as a den. I needed to get some bookshelves in here and I needed to move some furniture around and I just needed to do myriad things that just resulted in being excuses is all that they were. And then the other day, I really had an urging to do this podcast again. And I've, I've spoken to my therapist about it. And, you know, Dana has said, uh, why don't you want to do it? And, you know, my first thing is, well, nobody's listening to it. And she's like, just gives me the, okay, we know better than that. Look, the imposter syndrome was devastatingly real. And I know I've, I've covered uh, imposter syndrome in other podcasts, but uh, for those that are not familiar with it, it's a persistent inability to believe that your success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved ever as a result of your efforts or skills or anything that you do. So um, start a podcast, you, you start to write, you write a book, uh, which I've written two books, and then you send the books out and you, you send out query letters and you try to get a publisher to grab onto it and nobody does. And you automatically start to think, well, it's not good enough. And the fact that I'm a published author should be good enough, right? I mean, it should be enough for me to say, I've accomplished that. There are a lot of people that are wildly more successful at book writing than I will ever be. Yet I wrote two books uh, and they're both pretty damn good. So why does the imposter syndrome come in? And I don't really have an answer for that. But, uh, you know, Dana and I do talk about it. Brene Brown recently put out another book called Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. Very good book. Uh, highly recommend it. 10 out of 10 recommend, as the kids say today. And if you've not heard or read anything by Brene Brown, um, please look at her books. She has some really, really excellent TED Talks and a couple of Netflix episodes, Netflix specials rather. Really, really powerful stuff and very, very helpful. In chapter two of her book, Atlas of the Heart, Places We Go When We Compare, she's discussing discouraged, resigned, and frustrated feelings that we all go through. And what she writes here is things to note Feeling discouraged and resigned is about effort rather than outcome. With discouragement, we're losing the motivation and confidence to continue with our efforts. With resignation, we've lost the motivation to keep trying. I experienced both of those uh, quite recently. Um, back in May and June, I had applied for a deputy fire chief position with a local fire department here in Arizona. Uh, interviewed, interviewed twice, interviewed well, uh, obviously, since I, I got a second interview. And I was given a contingent job offer. Now, to not, I'm not besmirching this organization uh, at all. They did 
say, you know, don't put your two weeks notice in at your current job. This is only a contingent job offer. Uh, however, they did invite me down to do fingerprinting and I did the fingerprinting and I was given a start date and some opportunities to meet with the chief of department prior to that uh, to discuss uh, more personal aspects of the job. So I started telling friends and family that I was getting this job and how excited I was to be back into the fire service and I really didn't think it was going to happen again. And I received an email uh, from the director of HR that they were reposting the position. Uh, I called the fire chief. She declined to take my calls. I sent her an email or five. She did not respond to any of them. Uh, and I called the director of HR and she's a very, very nice woman named Vanessa. And she felt bad for me and was very empathetic about the position that I was in now. And she explained to me that the position needed to be adjudicated by a different department, I guess, or section of this uh, tribal community. The position, the job position was on a local um, Native American reservation. And the adjudicator said that the job description states two years as a battalion chief minimum, and I had only one year. And for that reason, I was eliminated from contention. And I explained to Vanessa from Human Resources that, you know, how does my education, knowledge, skills, and abilities not trump that 365 days? You're judging me by 365 days. And she said it was out of her hands. Uh, so I wrote a, a letter, an email to the fire chief. Um, and I had my sister and a couple friends proofread it just to make sure that Obviously, I, I wrote it with a lot of emotion behind it, and they all wordsmithed it for me to make it sound more professional and not like this crazy lunatic that I was at the time. And I sent that to the fire chief, and I never heard anything back from her. But I went into a monstrous, monstrous depression after that. I have suffered with depression uh, and anxiety, um, as, as anyone who listens to this knows. Uh, for years and years and years. I take medicine uh, and this just, it, this was it. I, there were a couple nights where I was sitting out in my backyard, uh, out on my patio uh, and just crying uh, and just thinking about, yep, let me go get the gun and this is going to be it. I normally see Dana, my therapist, every two weeks. Uh, we went on to a weekly schedule again. And it was, it was bad. You know, it, it was really, really bad. And in the process of, of those meetings with her, she started to talk about a company that actually opened up an office um, directly underneath of hers in the complex that, that her office is in. She's on the second floor and this company is on the first floor. Um, and the company is called Gen Health. And they have a bunch of different um, 
helpful programs uh, for for everyone, nutrition and uh, psychiatric help and and other other programs. But the the one that that Dana started talking to me about was a program called transcranial magnetic stimulation. So this uses a machine called Neurostar for the transcranial magnetic stimulation therapy. Now, those of those followers of this podcast know that I have also done EMDR with Dana, and that is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And what that does is it uses a light bar and uh, stimulators um, in your hand that you hold on to, and they will buzz in your hand, or you can follow the light going back and forth with your eyes, moving your eyes from left to right. Or you could do both or one or the other. I have used both in the past. Some people don't like looking at the light. Uh, it gives them a headache, even though it's, it's a light blue light. You, if you close your eyes, you can still do the, um, the reprocessing by the, having the sensation in, in your hands with the little vibrators. That has helped, but it obviously, that and the medication, obviously there was a gap there because I just went into this unimaginable dark space when, when I got that news of the fire department. I, I was not eating um, I did not drink, though, uh, which surprisingly enough, I did not really have an urge to have a drink any more than I normally do. And uh, for those of you that that know me, I, I work in a liquor store, um, so I'm around alcohol every day. But I don't have an urge to drink it. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people in the store. I mean, everyone I work with knows I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I talk to a lot of customers about it. Um, I have the Roman numerals of my sobriety date of March 20th, 2018, uh, on my left forearm. And a lot of people ask about it and I happily tell them. And usually eight out of 10 people will look at me and say, and yet you work in a liquor store. And I say immediately my response is, if I can handle this, I can handle anything. And that is, has been a bit of a mantra for me. I did not want to have a drink, um, and I'm very proud about that because I think anyone would have heard that story and known that I had had that happen to me and said, yep, that's, that's why he, he relapsed and he started drinking again. But I did not drink, but I also was not able to come out of the depression very, very quickly, uh, not without Dana's help and time. Obviously, time went by, and I was able to think about what happened I was able to process what happened without having the visceral um, anger and feelings of shame and vulnerability and not being worthy. But Dana had suggested this transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a non-drug treatment for major depression. So she had talked to me about it a few times. She and a couple of her other associates had gone down and, and, uh, one of the girls actually sat in the chair and they were testing the magnet on her just so they can understand what it felt like and what it looked like. And, and it just like the EMDR, it, it, to me, it seems like it's a, it's snake oil. You know, that's, that's the devil on my shoulder that, you know, is, is constantly trying to push me in another direction. I mean, for years, years and yeah, I mean, decades, <laughs> I was saying that the events of my father's suicide in 1977 had nothing to do with the person I was today. And that today is every day since 
February 27, 1977. And it took me three decades later to actually realize that, uh, yeah, that's exactly why you are the man you are today. Because your childhood ended when you were five years old and you were all of a sudden thrust into a role that you just were not physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally capable of processing and handling and acknowledging. And it took me again, 30 years to realize that. Uh, and I realize that now, um, I used to not be able to talk about my father's suicide and I never talked about it with, with many people. I have, uh, a couple of friends now that I've known for 30 plus years that have learned recently about my father. Um, I have an ex-wife who doesn't know how my father died. I just, I refuse to talk about it. And because there was the stigma of suicide, I was, I, for years, just, I didn't, my father died when he was 29. He was eight weeks shy of his 30th birthday. And I really didn't think I would ever make it, uh, to that age. So there, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot to that. So this, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation therapy, uh, uses a focused magnetic pulse similar to an MRI to reignite dormant synapses in the brain and help your brain function the way it was meant to. So it's not a drug and it's not a shock therapy like you see in the one floor of the cuckoo's nest, but it's a little extension of this machine that they rest onto the left frontal lobe of your brain, above, a little bit above your temple. And it somehow uses a magnet. I, I'm not quite sure exactly what it does. I haven't done it yet. Another reason why I wanted to start this podcast up again was because I'm going through this process and I wanted to share it with you. And I want to share my experiences and the results with it with you. Um, and hope that maybe if anyone out there hears this, maybe it'll be for them as well. But I had a uh, intake meeting with the psychiatrist uh, who, who oversees the program and she prescribed me a, another, uh, medication Abilify. She said, it'll do two things. It'll help me with my depression. The Effexor does a lot for me, but the Abilify will back up the Effexor and help my, help me with my, uh, serotonin reuptakes. And it will also show the insurance company that we've tried numerous different things to try and get me f cleared of my depression and, and actually live a, a life without depression. And she said, that's what the insurance companies want to see. They want to know that you started with medication A, that didn't work, went to medication B, which I did. I started, started with Zoloft, wasn't getting any results from that. Uh, then switched to Effexor and then did EMDR and now have Abilify and I'll be doing this uh, TMS pretty soon. So it, it's pretty interesting. There's um, the Neurostar website is neurostar.com. Uh, so you guys can look at it and read it. There's pictures of the machine there. It, it almost looks like a uh, almost looks like a dentist chair, to be honest with you. Um, and let's see. Let's click on this. How does Neurostar work? This states an 83% 83 measurable improvement. 
83% of the patients that completed their Norostar treatment cycle saw measurable improvements in their depression symptoms. 62% had complete remission and 7% decreasing remission with medications. So what Dr. Ross had said to me was it was, uh, it starts out to be like a five day a week process for a few weeks. Um, so you have to go five days a week for this procedure and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So hopefully the, she's running the information through my insurance company. You don't have to use insurance, obviously, but it would be extremely cost effective if you did. Um, that way you're only paying your, your out of pocket stuff. So I will keep everyone posted. Um, I plan on, on continuing with this podcast because I, I do enjoy it. I, I do enjoy sitting in front of this microphone and just rambling about me and the, the nonsense that goes on in my head. Um, but I'm in, a, I'm in a better place now than I was a long time ago. So I hope you guys are all doing well, and I will talk with you all soon. Thank you.